I remember the first time I ever heard that song, and this this has been years ago now, but uh, back when I used to lead worship, and I remember it did such a thing in my heart, because the words were so real in my life at that time, because I was living this process Christianity, and it wasn't... It wasn't, like the song said, it wasn't real. I mean, it was real, but it wasn't the fullness of what God wanted in my life. And I just remember the impact of that song. And so what I'm speaking on, and we did the first part last week about this thought of being lukewarm, this lukewarm Christianity. And we're going to finish that up this week. I'm not sure how in the world I thought I could have done it all in one week, but... uh, uh, we're going to finish it up this week. And before we do, let's, let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for who you are, God. We lift your name high. And we worship you. And this morning, we invite your Holy Spirit to this place so that you can reveal Scripture to our hearts. So as we read in your word, these things that are being discussed this morning, God, Open our eyes. As you said in Acts 17.11, Lord, help us to be ready to hear, ready to receive in our hearts, but then go home and prove out that which is said. And Lord, so I pray this morning for your presence and the presence of your spirit and work and make these words that come out of my mouth your words and not mine. And do your work in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Last week we began in Revelation, and we're going to read through that again just to get an idea of where we're at. And so uh, as you're turning to Revelation chapter 3, um, I do want to mention something. Uh, you got a bulletin. In the bulletin is a side that has message notes. And I want to point this out for one reason, and that is, as I prayed Acts 17.11, we have a responsibility as Christians to take what we hear, receive what we hear with readiness of heart and mind, right? But then we're to go home and we're to prove it out. So I'm going to use a lot of scripture today, as I did last week, and we're going to go over a few things. I want you to at least write down the scripture reference. Okay, and I'll give that to you so you can take that home and you can begin to look at it yourself. Because this is a critical, critical thing to settle in your own life. As a matter of fact, after salvation, after accepting Jesus Christ into your heart, this is the most critical. Because this is the decision point of how your walk with Christ is going to go. So I want you to write these down. It's really, really important. By the way, you could even write down Acts 17.11. Acts 17.11. So when you go home and look that up, it talks about the Bereans and how they were more profitable than the rest because they would take what they received, go home and prove it out. So we're in Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 14 to 22, and then we're going to... Go through some of this. Verse 14, Revelation chapter 3. 
And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, literally vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white Garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Verse 21, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered, and sat down with my father on his throne. So if you remember last week, we talked about the fact that God cannot work with neutral. Okay, Remember we talked about a standard vehicle. You know, when that, when that gear shift pops into neutral, you're not going anywhere. You're not moving forward. At best, you're coasting from the momentum you've already built up. But it isn't until you put it into drive or into a gear that you move forward. So God can't deal with neutral. He can't do anything with complacency. He can't do anything with an I don't care attitude. He just, he just can't. Now remember, he is talking here to people who have accepted him. These are people who are Christians, who, who have accepted Jesus Christ in the, into their heart already and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking to. And he's saying, if you've accepted this free gift of mine, this grace gift, this salvation, this ticket to heaven, if you will, if you've accepted that, and you live a complacent life, I can't do anything to help. I can't do anything with you. I can't help you in your walk. I can't guide you in the direction I want you to go. That's what the Lord's saying. If you're neither cold nor hot. If, if we are seeking Him, if we are trying to develop our relationship in the direction that He wants us to go, that's what he means by being hot. Okay, it doesn't mean that instantly you know everything about the Bible, you know everything about Jesus Christ, you know everything that he wants you to do in life. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about knowledge. He's talking about passion. He's talking about your passion for where he wants you to be. Okay, that's an individual thing. Everybody in here has that individually in their life. It's not a passion just for a group. So we talked about the fact that he cannot work with neutral. And why? Because we looked up, if you remember, and, and I told you I'd give you these verses so you could write them down. If you didn't write them last week, that's, that's out of verse 15 and 16 in Revelation 3. 
Okay, then we talked about God as a consuming fire. Right? Jesus Christ, and you can write these down, we won't look them up this week, but Deuteronomy 4.24, Deuteronomy 4.24, and Hebrews 12.28 and 29. Hebrews 12.28 and 29. He's an all-consuming fire. That is, anything that he gets involved in, he consumes. If you've ever seen a fire, fire doesn't stop until it has nothing else to eat. Right? So God consumes us completely unless we hold back from him. If we hold back, he can't consume that part. See, because he, he is a gentle father. He is not going to force himself on you. Why? Because he wants it out of your own choice. Because that's love. He wants you to follow him, to be passionate for him, to want to have relationship with him, because of passion and because he wants that love. That's how we show love to him. So God is an all-consuming fire. We also talked about how do we find ourselves in this neutral position. right? If, if you've ever driven, as I said last week, if you've ever driven a stick shift that is kind of an older stick shift. I remember my first car, a 75 G, CJ5. It was an awesome car. Awesome car. But it had a tendency that it would pop out of first gear if you didn't keep the acceleration on. Okay? So you can find yourself moving forward, and if you don't watch your walk with Christ, you can find yourself popping into neutral. We can, even in ministry, we can get so single-minded in our ministry and what we're doing for Christ that what we miss is the exact thing that he wants, and that's the personal relationship. Okay, God did not call you to ministry for the sake of ministry. He calls you to something as a result of your walk with him. You have to put the cart before, or you can't put the cart before the horse. The relationship with Jesus Christ has to be first. The relationship with Jesus Christ is then what produces ministry. So oftentimes we get that backwards and we look at ministry like, well, this is what I'm doing for God. Or maybe I'm going to church. I go to church on Sunday morning, so I, that's what I'm doing for God. Well, you're, you're missing the whole point. Because the whole point is personal relationship. The whole point is getting to know him and him getting to know you intimately. That personal relationship. Right? So that's how we find ourselves in neutral is we take our eyes off the fact that it's about relationship. It's about a personal walk with him. It's not about religion. I can't, I can't even stand that word. When, when people say, well, yeah, yeah, I'm religious, or, or yeah, I'm, I'm this religion or that religion, I think they kind of miss the point in Understanding that it's about relationship, it's not about religion. So we find ourselves falling into neutral simply because we miss the main point. And then I'll give you a couple other uh, verses that we looked up last week. First John 2.15 was about loving the world. When you love the world, you're going to fall into neutral. 
When you love the things of the world over your relationship to Jesus Christ, you're going to fall into neutral as a Christian. Titus 1.16. These are people that professed Christ, but their lives didn't show it. That was Titus 1.16. And then the last one from last week was 1 John 2.4. 1 John 2.4 says that if you love him, you'll obey him. And we talked about what the main commandments were. Remember, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. So if you really love him, you will, or if you really know him, you're going to love him and love your neighbor. You're going to love others. So that's what we talked about last week, how we found ourselves in neutral. And this week I want to begin by saying if he is calling you, and he is, to a closer walk with him, to a passionate walk with him, to have a hot walk with him, what he is telling you to do is turn up the heat. Turn up the heat in your personal walk. I want you to turn to uh, verses, we're going to stay here in Revelation 3, but verses 18 to 20 talk about this idea of turning up the heat. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Verse 19, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, eat with him, and he with me. That last verse there, verse 20, we often use that in terms of saying that to the lost. That that's what he's saying to the lost. Right? I'm knocking. Open the door, I'll come be with you. I will come in and save you. Okay, he does that, but that's not who this verse is talking to. This was written to the church. This was written to believers. So even believers keep that door closed. Even believers say, yeah, I I believe you, God. I accepted your salvation, but on my personal walk, I'm going to close that door. I'm going to keep it closed because I want to live life my own way and not develop that passion for you. So what he's saying here is turn up the heat in your relationship. What do, you, what do you say there in verse 18? I counsel you, I'm telling you, these are Jesus' words. I'm telling you, buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. See, they thought they were rich already. We read in a few verses before that that was the problem with their complacency, is they thought they had everything. They thought they had what they needed. How often... Do we turn to God when there's a problem? <laughs> right? I mean, that's typical. That, that's not just a worldly thing. That is what Christians do. Because, especially in the United States. Because in the States, we're taught from little kids to be independent. To grow up, you could be anything you want to be. Be independent of your surroundings. And that's success. Be independent of that. And you will gain success. But that's what Jesus is saying here 
is exactly the problem. Because what we end up doing as Christians is we end up having complacency and success in the world often ends up being no success in our personal walk. Because we have everything. We have everything we need. Until there's a problem, then we look to God. That's why if you're saved and you have things come into your life, oftentimes you wonder why in the world they're there. It's to get our attention. It's for him to remind us that we don't live for this life. We live for a life to come, which is eternity. And he wants us to focus in on this relationship here on earth with him. So he wants us to turn up the heat. What it says there, where it says, buy from me gold refined by fire. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Because this concept of buying from him gold refined by fire. First of all, gold refined by fire talks in, in the Bible are things that last. You know, our works, they're going to be judged at the Bema Seat of Christ, and they're going to be either gold, silver, precious stones, those are all things that last through the fire, or wood hand stubble, which burns up in the fire. So what he's saying here is buy from me something that lasts. But I, it, when I first started studying this, I couldn't really understand the, you know, buy from you. What does that mean? Well, Isaiah 55, I guess I should have turned there myself. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Say this. They say, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. So see, money wasn't a prerequisite. So they came to buy even those who did not have money. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? What he's saying there is that Our efforts, our time, the things that we have that we use to invest is what we invest in him. He's saying, bring that to me. It doesn't matter if you have money. I want your time. It doesn't matter if you have things. I want who you are. See, Jesus Christ wants us to represent him. So when we go before him, We don't have to have something special that we've already built up ourselves. We can be poor. We can be even poor in spirit. We can be poor in our walk with him. We can have a small knowledge of the Bible and still be passionate about our walk with him. Turn also to Revelation chapter 19. And Revelation chapter 19 talks about the white garments. And this is uh, verses 7 and 8. Because remember he said, also get from me white garments so that you won't be naked. Verse 7 and 8 say this, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself 
with fine linen, linen pure and bright. See, at some point, we have to go, if you've been saved, if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, at some point, to go before him, you have to be clothed in white. You have to be clothed in this purity. You have to seek him and develop this relationship with him. You can't avoid that. We can try here on earth. But as we talk over the next few weeks, you're going to understand that there are consequences to that. And not just consequences here on earth. Consequences when we stand before him. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not consequences on our relationship going to heaven. Not, not in our justification. Not in our ticket to heaven, I say. Because that's guaranteed. When you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart then heaven is your destiny. Heaven is your home. That will never change, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. However, how we live on this earth will affect how we stand before the Lord at the beauty seat of Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ. And, and that's why he's saying, i got to have you hot in this life. I've got to have you seeking me. Understand the gift I just gave you. He gave us through his grace, this ticket to heaven. If you have accepted him into your, into your heart as Savior, then you, by 100% grace, have been given the destiny of heaven. That is your destination. And like I said a moment ago, can never be taken away. And what he's saying is, do you realize what I just gave you? Do you realize what you have in him? Do you have an inkling of what it's going to be like after this life? Because if you do, he says, then you'll develop this relationship with me right now. Right now. That's what's called our sanctification. And I know for, for those who are, are new with Christ or, or don't, don't know, that, that's this big scary word. All that means is, from the moment you accept Jesus Christ into your heart to the very last breath you take, that period of time is where we develop our relationship with Christ, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's called our sanctification. We become sanctified in him. Is that where we just learn to follow a bunch of rules? No, that's not what he's talking about. Is that where we learn to just read our Bible? Like, I'm going to read my Bible 10 minutes a day and pray 10 minutes a day, and, and then, you know, I, I have these other compartmentalized parts of my life that I get to keep. No. If you read and really study the life of Paul, you begin to understand that every day of his life was a building process in his relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where we're at. That's turning up the heat. Seeking Him, letting Him do something in your life, that's turning up the heat. That's becoming hot before Him. It's all about that relationship and all about the, the passion that we use. So He wants us to turn up the heat. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. This is why he needs you to turn up the heat. 
Okay, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 says this. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. See, that's what Christ was telling. When he was here on earth before he died on the cross, that's what he was telling his disciples. He didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring the sword. He, gained, he came to engage in war. And I know that, that just sounds so opposite of what God's supposed to be. That's so opposite of what Jesus Christ is supposed to be because we're supposed to love him and we're supposed to love each other, right? So when you think of that, the last thing you think of is war. The last thing you think of is attack or the fact that he brought the sword. So what in the world does that mean? It means that on this earth we are engaged in a battle. This world is the battlefield. And who's in control of this world? We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? It's the enemy. Satan is, he is the prince in the power of the air. So God had to come here with a sword. He had to bring a sword and engage in battle. Why? To fight for us. Just like we're to engage and fight for each other. See, it's my responsibility to fight for those around me. It's my responsibility to fight for you guys. It's my responsibility to engage in that war. That's why, uh, I don't know, four or five weeks ago, we did that series out of Ephesians 6, putting on the whole armor of God. If we're not in a war, if we're not in a battle, why would we need that armor? But see, Jesus Christ... He came here for the battle. He came here to equip us. He came here to defeat the enemy, to give us hope. And that's what he did on the cross. So to follow Christ, we must prepare for war. Turn to Psalm 144. Psalm 144. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. And this is preparing for the war. God prepares us for this. Psalm 144, 1 and 2 said this. Blessed be the Lord my rock. This is David saying this. Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield And he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. See, God is the rock that trains us for this battle. You're in the battle whether you think so or not. You're in the battle on this earth whether you want to be or not. Because so often we shy away from that. If we see turmoil, if we see something that can be tense or, or difficult, we tend to move away from that. And I'm not saying run to everything that's difficult. <laughs> you know, oh, you see a battle going on, go run in there. That's not, that's not my point. We're in the battle. We're on the battlefield. That's why we're supposed to put on our whole armor. Now, part of that armor, if you recall in that series was the sword of the Spirit. That's the only offensive piece of the armor. 
And the reason why is because in battle, if you are defensive all the time, you're going to lose. If all you do is fight off what the enemy is trying to do in your life, you will have no victory. You will go from problem to problem to problem. So you have a problem, you fight it off. Okay, then the next problem comes, you fight it off. Then you rest a little bit. Then the next problem comes, you fight it, fight it off and rest. Okay, that's what happens when you're not thinking offensively in the battle. See, that's cold. That's when you let things happen to you and you don't let God work through you to take the battle to the enemy. But he calls us to that personal relationship for the fact, for the simple fact that he wants us to engage in this battle offensively. See, what happens when you go on offense and you're not on defense? You begin to inflict damage on the enemy. I played football, and in football, on defense, all we could do was keep them from scoring. That was it. You're, you're just fighting to keep them from scoring. And it wasn't until you go on offense that you had an opportunity to score. And the difference with that is who had the ball, right? So when we're on offense, we have the opportunity for victory. If you're on defense, you don't. So how do you learn to get on offense in your Christian walk? How do you learn to get on top of those problems, those trials, the difficulties that we deal with every day? You go on offense by getting deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. See, in this Word of God, 66 books, there's everything that you need. Everything that you need to live a fulfilled life, to live a victorious life, and to be prepared to go into battle on offense. Everything's in there. And that's what he's saying when he wants us to be hot for him. See, the world is the battlefield, and the enemy is who controls this earth. So, turn to Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. And this is still talking about this battle. Say this, verse 9 and 10 say, Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Again, this idea of being in a battle. (coughs) Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. So if you think you're weak, God says differently. If you think you can't handle this battle, if you think you can't fight the enemy with the power of Jesus Christ in your heart, he's saying, no, you can. You can have victory. You can even go on offense. You can go after the enemy. By the way, the, the, where he talks about at the end there about, about uh, sharpening, you know, turning your plowshares into, sh- into swords and and your uh, pruning hooks into spears. What he was talking about is back back in the Philistines, when the Philistines were controlling Israel, 
one of the things they did is they did not allow any blacksmiths in the land. Because they didn't trust the Israelites. They, they would fear that they would make swords. They would make spears out of all that. So they didn't allow blacksmiths anywhere near them. So what he's saying there is, turn what you have into a weapon. You may not have a sword, but you may have a pitchfork for hay. Turn that into a weapon. You may not think you're a warrior. You, you may not think that you have the ability to engage in battle, because why? I, I've only been saved a couple of months. I, I don't know the word of God. I don't know how to, how to do this or that. And what God is saying is take what you do have, sharpen that, use that as a weapon. Because each of you are warriors. Everyone called to God is a warrior because they're automatically in the battle. Can't get away from that. But he's saying you may think you're weak, but you're not. Because if you trust in him, he gives you strength. See, we think we need to be strong. We think that we need to do this in whatever power we have. And it's just the opposite. It's those who realize that it's the power of the Holy Spirit working through them that actually have the power to engage in the battle and to go on offense. So if we do all of this, if we turn up the heat and we become passionate and, and we seek God in the personal relationship that he offers, what does that do for us? What does that do for us here on earth and what does that do for us in heaven? Well, first, let's look back in Revelation chapter 3. And let's read verse 21. And it tells us what's going to happen in heaven. And this is our reward in doing this, in turning up the heat. It says, to the one who conquers... I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. And then he qualifies that. He says, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. See, Jesus Christ, when he became a man and he lived a perfect life on this earth, a perfect sinless life on this earth, he conquered sin. He conquered the enemy. Because the enemy was here then too. He came down, he engaged in warfare as a man, just like you and me. He conquered that. And what happened when he conquered that? The father said, come and sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies your footstool. So even right now, Jesus Christ, who we worship, sits at the right hand of the father, on his father's throne. See, Christ is not on his own personal throne right now. Because that will happen in the millennium. Where he will sit on his throne. And that's what he's saying we will get to do if we conquer with him. We will sit on the throne with Jesus Christ if we're conquerors. That's what it says right there. But it doesn't say everybody. It doesn't say that you get that if you accept Jesus Christ into your heart. And see, what we're going to be going over in the next, two, next couple of weeks 
is going to be a little bit difficult for some people to swallow. This isn't something that is you hear preached very often. You find it in books, but it's a very unpopular thing to preach in a church. I'm really not sure why, because truth is truth. And I would certainly rather know something now when I can do something about it in my walk with him. Because of what he offers. He offers me authority with him if I conquer. If I develop this personal relationship with him and let him completely move in my life, he offers me authority with him. See, because that's what Jesus Christ has right now on the Father's throne. He was given all authority over everything. When he was risen from the grave and ascended, he was given all authority. See, when we conquer, we're going to be given authority. We're going to be given authority in the earthly reign of Christ, which is what's called the millennium, that thousand-year period. And I know some of you may have, may, may don't, don't know anything about prophecy in the end times of the Bible. But this is a thousand-year period where Jesus Christ will reign on earth. He takes the throne that he was supposed to take, which is the throne of David. And if we conquer in our lives here, we're going to reign with him. We're going to have authority with him. Those are the crowns that we're given. And we're going to get into that a little bit, but it's, under, it's, it's important to understand that, that in developing a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's something that's going to happen in heaven beyond our ticket to heaven. Beyond the fact that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and we get to go to heaven, there's so much more than that. We will reign with him. But let's make it practical. Okay, what about here on earth? Are there any benefits on earth to having this relationship with Jesus Christ? Because, see, I like to do what I want to do. You know, and there's things that I, I like to work toward. Well, there is benefit here on the, on the earth having a relationship with him as well. When we do things in our own strength, when we pursue our own goals, especially as Christians, and those goals are not what Christ has for our lives, what happens? It doesn't work out so well. We run into turmoil. Because he lets the enemy fight us. Why? Because we're wanting to do our will and not his. Whereas when we switch that up, when we develop our relationship with him, when we seek him and want his best for our life, now all of a sudden he teaches us how to protect ourselves. He teaches us how to engage in the battle. And then he gives us so much joy, those fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all those things that make life really worthwhile. Have you ever met a person that it doesn't seem like they should be happy? They don't have money. They don't have a nice car. You know, they, they don't have a great job. They don't have these things. But yet they're happy. They're a Christian and they're happy. Why in the world? How in the world does that work out? How about Mother Teresa? How in the world could that woman have been so happy? the love of Christ. It's because her joy didn't come from things that she got. The joy comes from our relationship to Him. Anybody here who's developed a relationship? 
Okay, whether I've been married to my wife for almost 27 years. Okay, when we first met and developed that relationship together, and we poured into getting to know one another, there were things that came out of that. There were joys that came out of that, so much so it made us want to get married. Right? Our relationship built and continued and has continued to build over 27 years. So there was joy that comes out of that. There's satisfaction that comes out of that. There's knowing who you are that comes out of that. See, I know who I am in Jesus Christ. I know the joy, no matter whatever the surroundings are. I could be in the worst place in the world and be in complete peace knowing that I'm in the will of God. Why? Because I know He loves me. And it doesn't matter. The world can't touch me when my Father loves me. They can't do a thing to me. They can hurt my body. They can hurt my flesh. They can hurt my feelings. They can take stuff away from me. But what they can't take away from me is the fact that Jesus Christ is part of my life. He is the main part of my life. He is what gives me joy, love, joy, and peace. So that really brings it down to one question. Where is Jesus Christ in your life? Are you hot? Are you cold? Where's your walk? Where's your personal relationship? And I want to encourage, if, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, then you don't have a relationship with him. You can't. See, you can only have a relationship in the beginnings of that relationship when you've given yourself to him. You've accepted him into your heart as Savior. So once you've done that, you can build the relationship. So if you are saved, where is your relationship? Have you yielded to God and said, Lord, whatever you want. It's not what I want. Whatever you want. Because he promises if we take a step toward him, he'll take a step toward us. You know, today we, we have the baptism today and we have several people that are taking that next step in their walk with Christ. Being willing to follow him and what baptism is, is telling the world, I've accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. But it doesn't end there. It can't. It doesn't end at any time until we breathe our last breath. You don't get to a point in your walk with Christ where you've hit the top and you just coast. There's no such thing. If I were to get that, get to that point with my wife Alexis, we'd start to go backward. If we can't continue to get closer and closer and closer together, what happens to a relationship? It gets stale. It starts to disintegrate. It starts to fall apart. It's the same with Jesus Christ. If you don't spend time with him, if you don't spend time pursuing him, your relationship with him is going to get stale. 
it's going to get to the point where it doesn't mean as much. It's going to get to the point where you don't have his effect in your life. So where is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Because verse 20 in Revelation 3 says, I'm knocking. I'm knocking on the door of your heart and I want you to open. Why? Because he wants to spend time with you. He wants to get to know you. That's an amazing thought. That the creator of this world, this universe, wants to spend personal time with you. Think of someone in your life, or, or even in, you know, in the world or whatever, that you deem really important. You know, a really big deal. If they came to your house and they knocked on your door and, and said, hey, you know, I want to just have lunch with you and get to know you a little bit, that'd kind of blow, blow your mind, wouldn't it? You know, one of my favorite actors, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> I know young people. Do you even know who he is? Okay, that's good to know. I, I told the Lord, Lord, if I, could, if I could play golf with anybody in the world, it would be Clint Eastwood and Bill Murray. Those two people. So, you know what? If Clint Eastwood came to my house, knocked on my door, and I opened it up, and he said, Hey, Greg, nice to meet you. I'd really like to come inside and get to know you. Do you think I'd close the door? No. Yeah, I, I, that'd be kind of silly, wouldn't it? No, it'd be like, oh my goodness, come on in, let me get you the best chair. Well, hold on, let me clean up first. <laughs> then, let me get you the best chair. Can I get you something to eat? What do you like to eat? You know, let me, let me make you comfortable. Why? Because I want you here as long as you could be here. As long as you're willing to stay, I want you to be here. And then I, I begin developing that relationship. See, now Jesus Christ, when he comes in, he brings his pillow, he brings his sleeping bag, because he's planning to stay, if you let him. See, because he can't get enough of you in a single sitting. He wants to move in and build relationship with you and stay there with you for the rest of your life. To develop that close walk, we can't just open the door and then say, okay, God, it's time for you to leave now. You know, I, I got stuff I got to do. You got you to go. It doesn't work with a relationship with God. See, he wants to be a part of everything you do. Hey, no problem. You got something to do today. You got, you got work to do. Let me help you. See, he wants to be a part of that too. He doesn't want to be categorized into a box and you just have him be part of that one box. He wants to be part of everything. So he stands at that door and he knocks. And he's just waiting for you to let him in. Let's bow our heads.